This is a moral call right here. This is not about politics. This is about morality. Health emergencies can't wait for us to have some theoretical debate about some better idea that will never, ever come to pass. We are behind every country pretty nearly in Europe in this matter of medical care for our citizens. I'm a physician. That means you have a right to come to my house and conscript me. It means you believe in slavery. Well, hello, everybody. My name is Benjamin Day. And I'm Jillian Mason. Sorry, Ben, I made you wait for it because this is the waiting episode. Oh, Jesus. You've been planning this this whole time, haven't you? I just thought we had a, an audio delay. Um, anyway, so way to ruin my intro, Jillian. This is Medicare for All, by the way, the podcast for everybody who needs health care. And as Tom Petty taught us all in the 1980s, for those of us who were alive in the 1980s, waiting <laughs> is the hardest part, Jillian. It was very, very hard. I thought we were having a, a tech disaster there, but it is way harder, of course, when you're waiting to see a doctor for a problem that immediately needs your attention. Anyone who has ever tried to get a doctor's appointment in this country knows that A, it's going to be a lot harder than scoring Taylor Swift tickets, and B, you are going to face serious delays before you get your care. So in this episode, we're going to get into the nitty gritty of wait times in the United States. How bad are they? How do we compare to the rest of the developed world? And why are wait times sort of the right's favorite scare tactic when it comes to Medicare for all? Mm, 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 mm. And it is their favorite scare tactic when it comes mm -hmm. to Medicare for all. They love to say that. Like, if we have Medicare for all, you would have to wait forever for your care and you'll never get to see a doctor and everything will be like communist Russia or, God forbid, Canada. A way worse. <laughs> so we see examples from this all the time from politicians, from pundits and all sorts of motherfuckers. So uh, <laughs> I don't know, Ben, do you want to give, we have this really great example that our researcher Lucy found is so good. As probably anyone who's spent any time working the Medicare for All movement knows, this is one of the number one pushbacks that you get, you hear from people, but especially attack ads. And, you know, once you get close to winning, then you, this is one of the primary areas of lying that we hear from. Our intern, Lucy, who did a lot of research on this particular episode, found this great TV ad by One Nation, which is, you know, the Karl Rove favored pack attacking Medicare for all. And all it is is people holding up signs with the wait times that you're going to have for every single procedure and type of visit. And at the end of it, it says, you know, Medicare for all will basically ruin your entire life. So it's just people holding up sign after sign after sign with different wait times for different procedures. And it doesn't say which where the facts are coming from. It doesn't say which country that has Medicare for All actually has with this wait times. It doesn't actually claim that these are facts as well. I just wanted right. to throw That's that true. out. That's true. That's true. That's <laughs> true. There's a there's a difference between facts and um, what is going on with these right wing attacks. My favorite was a a child holding up a sign that says asthma four weeks. <laughs> and I was like, do you need four weeks to get the asthma? Do you need, I mean, so anyway, and if you also know you're getting really serious about dialogues because they turned off the comments on the video section. My guess, if I had to, and we're going to talk a lot about Canada in this episode, Jillian, they are probably getting this from the Fraser Institute, which is this right-wing think tank in Canada that regularly produces these ridiculous wait time reports for how long you have to wait to see different things and get different uh, access to things in Canada. And actually, not to jump to the ending of this, but can't, wait times in Canada are not very good. 
US and Canada are kind of the worst when it comes to wait times, but they are not that bad as the Fraser Institute things. And it, it's funny because they do their own survey of physicians in Canada, which you don't need to do that because every single time you access a service, it's tracked as a data point in Canada. Every mm. single hospital tracks all of their objective wait times. So you don't need like a right wing uh, survey thing. But anyway, so before we even dove into the data, looking at other countries, looking at the United States, we asked our own members of Healthcare Now to tell us their wait time stories here in the United States. And no shock here, you and I, two rando people who happen to work in the healthcare <laughs> world, both have like horrific wait time stories. So ladies yeah. first, Jillian, I don't want you to wait to tell your story. Hey, uh -huh. oh, I get that. Yeah, no. By the way, this is the first time that someone's called me a lady in quite some time. So <laughs> thanks. So my, I mean, my story is very basic, right? I just need a colonoscopy. So I called up my doctor or went to see my doctor. I got a referral and I called up the clinic where I'm supposed to get my colonoscopy. I called them up in September and I said, when's the soonest I can get an appointment? I'm really suffering here. And this is what they told me. Call back next year. <laughs> so you didn't even get a wait time, really. I, I didn't get, they, they literally wouldn't even take an appointment. They you were had to wait like, a year to wait more. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I still have not gotten that appointment, by the way. But, you know, fingers crossed. It's going to happen. And last you told me, your real plan was to find an appointment in, like, Mexico, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> a lot of people here in Texas, where I live, they end up going to either new or old Mexico for right. their health care. And part of the reason is because these wait times are just ridiculous. So, Right. And you kind of, oddly enough, you fall into the category of people who can't eat, are not lucky enough to get into a wait, waiting queue. You know, mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. which, of course, if you don't have insurance, if you have high deductible and you just literally can't afford it, you are not even getting a wait time because in certain respect, getting a wait time is a privilege. It means eventually you're going to get the care you're looking for. God, that makes me so nauseous. I know. Yeah. Uh, my I really wait need to see a gastroenterologist. <laughs> I, I have never wished a, a colonoscopy on anyone, but I really I wish you so hard a colonoscopy. I hope you get one really bless soon you, Thank yes you. bless your heart for those who are grossed out it's only just begun so hang in there oh yeah sorry about that guy oh my god my parents are going to be so embarrassed if they listen to this episode don't listen to this all right episode. stay away yeah. stay away i have an even i think an even worse waiting time story which is that i was having mm. um i started having tingling in and numbness in my toes and my fingers and then it spread to my hands and my feet and then it started going up my arms and my legs so naturally that's when you talk to a neurologist when it's clearly a neurological issue but it took over two months to get an appointment with a neurologist and by that time it had spread all the way up my arms and Yeesh. legs and um they thought and this is still somewhat a matter of debate what it was actually happening there but they thought it was just a b12 vitamin deficiency so Anyway, they prescribed me B12 vitamins and the symptoms reduced. And I remember as I was talking to the neurologist and he was like, he was like, all right, we're going to get you on B12, see if that solves the problem. There shouldn't be any permanent damage, I think. And he stopped and he's like, yeah, no, I, I'm pretty sure there probably won't be any <laughs> permanent damage. Um, but it turns out he was wrong. Uh, there was permanent damage. I have 
permanent neuropathy in my hands and legs. So I have, you know, tingling and numbness all the time. It's actually a little hard to get to sleep with it. So I now am on medication every day to sort of tamp down any neurological symptoms I have. All because of a wait time that probably could have been addressed very simply with some vitamins. And let me mention too, Ben has a lot of other shit he should be taking care of. <laughs> right. I didn't need that extra layer. Yeah, that's like problem D, E, and F for me. But anyway, yeah, I mean, and I live in Boston, by the way, which is a major medical oh. center, has a huge concentration of basically every specialty you could possibly want. But also, I'm in a very limited network plan. If I had a better insurance plan, it's possible there would have been more neurologists at my disposal. Maybe one of them would have been able to see me earlier. But yeah, so that's like anyone who's like wait times in Canada, I'm like, oh, come on, just talk to anyone. Anyone in the United States, mm -hmm. including me. So what did our what did our activists and members say, Jillian? Well, one person misunderstood the question and said that they generally wait 10 minutes in the waiting room with their doctor <laughs> <laughs> to see their doctor. I want to know where sweet. that doctor is. I, I, that is actually better than I get most of the time. That's mm -hmm. great. But aside from that, we had some real horror stories, right? But here, here are some that are like middle of the road, right? So we have uh, one month for a podiatrist for Greg in Texas who actually can't walk right now. We've got three to six months for special appointments for Dorothea in North Carolina, who is already struggling with breast cancer. Six months wait to see a dermatologist for Carla in Oregon, who has a history of skin cancer. Jesus. <laughs> Four months for an eye doctor for Bill in New York. Months for primary care for Eileen in California. Three months for a gastroenterologist for Dennis in New Mexico, who requested the appointment because he has blood in his stool. Oh, that doesn't sound urgent at all. <laughs> right. Like, much like neuropathy. Not, right, yeah. You know, not another to worry about. Thank God. And then two to three months for any doctor from one of our listeners in Georgia, three weeks to see an ear, nose, and throat doctor with a 25% cancellation waiting list for oh, Linda geez. in Maryland. This list goes on and on and mm -hmm, on. Five mm -hmm. months for dental care for Laura in Wisconsin. Six months to see a specialist for Raquel in California. Mm -hmm. Four to seven months for a cardiologist for one of our listeners in Washington. So I think like the thing that stood out to me most is like people talk a lot about how we quote unquote, overused medical care in this mm -hmm, country. Mm -hmm. But a lot of these issues are pretty urgent and they shouldn't be fucked around with. What kept coming to my mind as you were going through that list of this was again, we just send out one email to our own to our mm -hmm. list of, mm -hmm. of supporters. They all seemed longer than the right wing attack ads about <laughs> what <laughs> what you'd have to wait for under Medicare for all. Every single one of those was longer than like the little signs these paid actors were holding up. So yeah, yeah. Uh, let me. I, I just want to go into a, a couple of these stories though because they're just wild. Well, this one, this one I actually thought was just pretty representative of what folks have been dealing with. Unfortunately, this is also a colon health story. So again content warning. Anne in New York says, I live in the Albany, New York area. I moved here eight years ago and I've never witnessed such poor, inadequate, even hostile medical care before in my life. She says she has too many stories for this space, <laughs> but gives one example. She says, I've been suffering with severe diarrhea daily for two months. That's terrible. Uh, she says, since I have IBS, it took me a while to realize that this was not an ordinary flare-up. Finally, desperate for an answer and some relief, I contacted my gastroenterologist. 
in this geographical area, all specialists have coalesced into these huge practices mm -hmm. that act like corporations. Mm -hmm. More on that, by the way, later. It's difficult to get a human being on the phone. The tape message strongly encourages everyone to go to the quote unquote patient portal and mm -hmm. leave their information there. So they simply don't want to talk to patients. I persisted this time and her receptionist transferred me to my doctor's nurse. She had a voicemail instructing you to leave your info and she would return her call. Mm -hmm. So after five hours, she did return my call, explain my situation, and she told me to take Imodium and eat more fiber. Wow. <laughs> Jesus. So condescending. I said I would, but I still needed to see a doctor because it was so bad. I couldn't yeah. even leave the house most of the time. Also, I have had polyps removed on several occasions, mm. and I previously had cancer in the same area. Right. Downright rude and annoyed, but finally said she'd give me an appointment with him, although she's, quote unquote, not a schedule. Then she offered me a date four months later. <laughs> I told her that was unacceptable given my condition. And so she could see, a, she said, I could see a physician's assistant who was, quote, just as good in <laughs> three months. <laughs> uh -huh. Wow. What a promotion. Yeah. 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 She still has not seen her doctor, by the way, oh for my that. God. Yeah. And this is how we end up in emergency rooms, basically. I mean, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Another story that stuck out to me was one from Robert in Delaware. So he, uh, he was a pilot and he, in 2018, he had a traumatic brain injury. Um, and he says this, the federal aviation agency required me to have a complete neuropsychological examination mm, on or sure. about four years and 10 months after this injury to reinstate my medical eligibility to use my pilot licenses. Mm -hmm. So he needs this this like medical clearance in order to actually work. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe so, to have health insurance <laughs> for your probably. job. Um, yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Very likely. Very likely. So basically he went in and um, the federal aviation agency did a neurological examination on him first and he passed it. It was administered by an FAA consultant psychologist. And then he's like, great. I just have this one more thing to take care of. And he goes to, to the doctor to schedule this MRI that he needs with a board certified neurologist. Mm -hmm. This was on February 2nd. The earliest possible appointment was April 20th. At my April 20th appointment, I got a neurological physical exam with cognitive tests that were simpler than the neurological day-long battery of cognitive tests that the FAA had administered. Now I have to wait till June for the MRI. So this is someone who can't even use his pilot's license right. until he gets this and, and he's stuck waiting in the system. Jesus Christ. I know. Can you believe? I mean, yeah. Can you believe it, Ben? Of course you can believe it. <laughs> yeah, I can. But still, this is it's always overwhelming when we when we ask for just the human stories. Oh, yo, yo, you haven't even this one is from one of our listeners. I, I have to tell you this is oh, one more one more. It story. gets worse. It gets worse. Okay, this is literally the one of the worst stories. I want to prepare myself. Yeah, and again, content warning. This involves gynecological stuff and and just is really unpleasant. Okay, guessing here, but about fifty five, it started or sooner. Went from minor to worse, bladder, uterus, dropping into vagina with urination 50 times a day. This is actually a mm. problem that women, that's women, particularly women who given birth sometimes have where your bladder, is, your bladder actually prolapses and sort of sinks down into your, um, yeah. 
had insurance prior to Medicare at 65, but with a $7,000 deductible. Of course, right. So the deductible was too high, so she waited until age mm. 65. How many times do we hear that? Right. that yeah, people it. are just waiting for mm -hmm. Medicare in order to in order to actually seek care. So once I turned 65, I already had my doctors lined up, appointments ready. Now that I have Medicare with Supplemental Blue Shield of California, I thought this should be really easy. Did all my tests and ready, but it took over a year to get a simple hysterectomy with a sling to lift my bladder up. <laughs> I had to wait over a year and two months before my surgery date. My uterus fell out of my vagina. Oh my God. I could barely walk, could not sit, and was able to lay on my side. Oh. In the doctor's office, the doctor shoved the uterus up through the vag vaginal mm. cavity back into place. I still had to wait for my surgery date. Oh, Jesus. This was the worst experience, starting with trying to get the doctor's appointment. Took me two weeks for one of the doctors to even respond to me after many calls for just the initial appointment. And then on top of that, the hospital stay bill was a nightmare. And she just wanted to wanted us to know also that she's a retired registered nurse. Right. She's been working for over 30 years taking patients. Right, right. And now she finds herself in and this situation. Jesus, what really strikes me, I mean, usually when they come after wait times for Medicare for all, they point to like elective procedures, like knee replacements, cataract surgery in, in Canada. Half these stories we heard are clearly urgent care or emergency needs, you know? Yeah. They're yeah. like need care right now to be even marginally functional in day-to-day -day living, to be able to participate in society, to be able to work. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it's just wild that this is this is what's these are the wait times that are allowed to persist in the United States. I mean. And one thing that that people pointed out over and over again is is what you say, which is that this is how people end up in the ER, right? right. If you have blood in your stool, you really shouldn't wait three months to get it dying, you know, to get to find out what that is. If you're having tingling in your arms and legs, you know, these are signs of potential life-altering illness, right? If not a life-ending illness. And they demand immediate attention. And when you don't give them immediate attention, that just increases the likelihood that people are going to get seriously sick and that they're going to end up in the ER for their health care. Right. Yeah. And we often don't even get the care we need there. I mean, you know, for, for procedures like surgery and MRIs, they're not going to just like do that in the emergency room. You know, there's, you're still going to be waiting <laughs> right, for that long right. schedule. So uh, that was just a sickening I know it's stories. I can't believe any of our activists had to go through that anyways. Yeah, I, 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 let me pause for a moment and just say to all of you, I am so fucking sorry. You deserve so much better and we are going to keep fighting until we get you a system that actually addresses your needs. So yeah, and thanks to everyone who submitted their stories. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, all right. So this is our anecdotal evidence. And I think, again, anyone who's ever tried to get a doctor's appointment is, you know, really experience something like this. Right. But again, those right wing attack ads, they always parade this jerry rigged data. And so, Ben, will you break this down for us? as our resident healthcare policy expert, which Ben hates being called. Ah. Um, <laughs> so what is the actual reality here, right? What's the data? What's the reality of wait times in the US versus other countries? Yeah, and it, it got, it's hard to go from stories like that to like cold facts, I guess, but um, yeah, uh, obviously they're important. I mean, you know, it, in a system where any of those stories are allowed to happen, something has, is wrong, 
regardless of what the averages are, you know, but so when we try to compare the United States wait times to other countries, especially countries that have universal Medicare for all type systems, it's, it's actually impossible to do because the United States does not track wait times. We're actually, <laughs> we're one of the only developed countries where there's some academics who have done surveys. There's a few surveys out there, you know, Medicare has some data. There's like a, a couple of institutes that, you know, survey hospitals, the Commonwealth fund has kind of a famous every few years, they'll do a survey. Uh, they'll call people up and ask them about their experiences. But in countries like Canada, in fact, most countries, every single wait time is tracked. So every time anyone tries to get cataract replacement surgery, it, that data point will be tracked exactly how long it took for them to request the surgery to, until the time it happens. It's like almost like um, like they care about what kind of health exactly. they're providing. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, the, the first thing to start off with is that the United States, we don't give a shit about wait times. Because if we did, we would minimally require tracking them so we could actually know what they are. So that's like problem number one. But we do have a few areas where, you know, as I said before, uh, the Commonwealth Fund is kind of has done the best. The last data we have from the Commonwealth Fund is a little bit old because they did a survey in 2020 comparing the United States wait times with, um, I think, 10 other countries. I think all of them with universal health care. But it was right at the beginning of COVID. And obviously, COVID completely threw off wait time stuff for every country. You know, it wasn't just like, I can't get the care I need. It's because people were afraid to go into hospitals. They thought they might get COVID. So people were avoiding care, which, as you can imagine, just threw wait time data kind of out of whack. So we even the data we have, it's a little bit older. But if we go back to the last one they did in 2016, this is data from 2016, one of the basic wait time questions they have is if you try to get an appointment with your doctor, were you able to get a response from your doctor within one day? Just <laughs> like, can you reach them? Like, can you actually get them on the phone? Just like this, our supporter in Albany who is like, I literally can't reach these people. There's a website, you know, whatever. So 2016 of 11 countries that were surveyed, Switzerland, Germany, Netherlands, France, Australia, New Zealand, United Kingdom, Norway, Sweden, United States, and Canada. United States was second to last. Okay. So we do not have a good, you know, actually getting a hold of your doctor, getting a response. But this is an important point. Who was the last? Who was the absolute worst? It was Canada. So, Canada. <laughs> uh, right. So the share of people who sometimes rarely or never get an answer from their doctor's office on the same day was 33% in Canada. That's a third. That's really bad. It was 28% in the United States. So that's also close to a third of people are not getting any response from their doctor's office or a late one, or it very rarely happens. Now, if you look at the other countries, for example, the Netherlands, which has a pretty strong single payer system, 87% of the time they were getting a timely response. Same thing with Germany, 13% of people had problems. France, Australia, both had 14%. Those are both single payer countries. Uh, New Zealand single payer system, it was 17%. So you get the idea. All these countries with universal health care did way better than us, except for Canada. And Canada, as we're going to find out, is kind of an outlier in wait times. The moral of this whole episode is going to be it's Canada's fault that we have to have this argument all the time about <laughs> Medicare for all leading to wait times because Canada really is not doing so good on wait. Uh, but of course, they do have a universal system. So you actually can get into a wait list for them, which you can't say the same of here in the United States. Now, things are a little bit different when you look for how long do you have to wait for a specialist visit 
Again, this is Commonwealth Fund 2016. They say, do you have to wait a month or longer for a specialist visit? Uh, the U.S. actually did a little bit better in this category. They were 27% uh, of people in the United States had to wait a month or longer to get a specialist visit. But that was in the top half of countries. Again, Canada was the worst. And <laughs> in the bottom, 61% of people had to wait a month or longer in Canada. And for some reason, all the, Nor the Nordic countries, Scandinavian countries didn't do very well in this area. Norway and Sweden were also near the bottom. But again, Germany does better than the United States universal healthcare system. The Netherlands did better than the United States. That's another single payer system. France was very similar to the US. So the US was kind of clustered up there with these Medicare for all type systems. So again, the whole the whole myth that we somehow have amazing short wait times and you know in universal healthcare systems uh, you have to wait forever is false. It, it varies tremendously from country to country regardless mm -hmm. of their payment system, uh, how how the healthcare gets paid for. That is actually kind of wild to me. That doesn't even go into like the really really critical wait times, right? right yes which are these ambulance response times. Right. Patients emergency. Yeah, I was going to get to that. And I actually could not. So there's two areas that I had a really hard time finding comparative data on. One was elective procedures. And again, this is one that I feel like is anecdotally, I feel like the United States probably does better on. Elective procedures are like cataract surgeries, hip replacements, hysterectomies, things like this, but not always, obviously. But again, I could not find comparative data for the United States and other countries. But I found the OECD, which is the organization of like rich countries, so to speak. They did have this very comprehensive report on wait times for elective procedures across all countries. But the United States was not included in the report because we do not track our wait times for elective Don't procedures. Have not, the data. not in a systemic way, but there's this amazing report very recent that compares 20 countries uh, elective procedures so again we don't even know how good or bad we're doing on that but on that rep OECD report canada also did very very poorly <laughs> so yeah oh canada and we're going to talk a little bit about maybe why a little later but um surely within the united states wait times are pretty uniform right ben no not at all and as you said because we don't track wait time data we don't exactly know the details here like we do for all these other countries but there is some anecdotal evidence that uh, or i mean there's obvious evidence that there's massive inequities in how long people wait so i found reports showing that poor people and people of color have longer wait times for all services not just health services so this is just like a whole life thing if you're a low income or a person mm -hmm. of color basically you're going to spend more time of your life trying to access basic things. You're going to have to do more harassment. You're going to have to wait physically in spaces longer. You're going to have to wait on the phone. You're going to have to, it's just harder to get basic things if you're low income or if you're a mm -hmm. person of color. Patients in poor neighborhoods have longer ambulance response times for cardiac arrest. And you were talking about like the wait times that really, really matter. Like wait times for cataract replacement surgery. That's important. That does affect your, your quality of life, obviously your vision. But you are dead if if your response time on a cardiac ar arrest is is not really prompt. Um, yeah. Same thing for like how quickly you're processed in an emergency room. And we have really cluttered emergency rooms in the United States. And so, yeah, longer wait times if you're in a poor neighborhood to get ambulance response time. Hispanic children have longer waits in emergency departments. This is just kind of the tip of the iceberg, but uh, we'll get into the why next, which yeah. is yeah. 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 Well, let's get into the why, okay. right? Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, yeah, like Ben's saying, right? Like it doesn't seem like having a single payer system or not having a single payer system is the key determinant of your wait times in your system. So the question then becomes like, who's to blame? All right. <laughs> I love we the love, blame game. <laughs> I love playing the blame game. But so the first thing I think that's important to know, right, is that mostly this is about actually having an adequate supply, right? And that means supply of providers, specialists, scanning equipment, labs, et cetera, et cetera, facilities, devices, et cetera, and accessibility, right? Which is, you know, actually kind of a different question from our payment or insurance uh, systems. So in general, we actually do pretty well at wait times for profit services like MRIs, CT scans, and we do pretty shitty at unprofitable or lower reimbursement services like primary care, mental health care, substance use care, et cetera, et cetera. But there is an exception to this yes. because, <laughs> because. Oh, is that my cue? Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting on so, you. I kept you waiting. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So the one exception and in general wait times in the U S like Jillian was saying, I think they kind of reflect what you would expect from a, a market-based system, right? It's like if a provider can squeeze a lot of money out of doing a lot of a service, then they are probably going to be a little bit better at providing it in a timely manner. Cause it's like more people, more money, more profits. But if an insurance company is not in reimbursing you very well, then there's really no rush to uh, people aren't going to get into that business. There's not going to be enough providers, not enough machines, whatever you need, that's the bottleneck. But there's one exception where you would really expect profitable things to be, to give you a short wait time. You know, like my story, neurologist, neurology, that's a pretty profitable business to be in as a, yeah. a specialist provider. We had that dermatology story. So why is it that these specialists are taking us so long in the United States? Well, we have a special challenge here in the United States, which actually also has nothing to do with our payment system. <laughs> but a physician organization, I think it's the ACGME, controls how many medical school slots there are and also controls how many medical residency slots are available across the country in every specialty. This one so, fucking blew my mind. Yeah. So um, mind. as you can imagine, and this is something that um, the economist Dean Baker wrote an article on this, and he was actually most interested in, he, he thought this was driving up physician salaries in certain specialties. But I think in the, this context, we care way more about the wait times, obviously. So, and he said, basically, it's a cartel. A group of physicians gets to choose how, how many new physicians there will be in their field. They basically get to say, well, how many new competitors am I going to have in my market uh, coming up? And naturally, there's kind of a, a natural inclination for them to lowball or not set enough new slots. So we end up with these shortages of neurologists, for example, even in large areas like Boston, huge medical areas. And the other interesting thing from Dean Baker's article that really struck me was that pretty much all residencies are paid for by the federal government through the Medicare and Medicaid program, which is weird because those are not programs for medical education. Those are programs for seniors and low income people. But that's where like all of the funding for a residency comes from. And the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services had not increased the amount of payment for medical residency programs for more than two decades. And why is that? Is that because CMS are, they're bad people and they don't know what they're doing? No, it's because no. the American Medical Association had lobbied against increasing the, 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 the number of slots. 
So we have this really weird extra layer of fucked up uh, in our system. Again, this has really nothing to do with having a profit-based system as opposed to a Medicare for all system. If you let this happen in a Medicare for all country, things would also, you would also have wait times uh, for your special specialists, I imagine. So- Damn, yeah. damn, damn, damn. Um, so, I mean, given all of that then, would Medicare for all actually impact wait times in the US? I think so. I don't know what you think about this, Jillian. And as we said, it's really about supply, right? Are there enough doctors in, again, also in your area? It's not just like in the whole country. Right, right. And I think it wouldn't solve the problem overnight. Moving to a Medicare for all system, it wouldn't solve our wait times. It certainly wouldn't solve, you know, our primary care shortage, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But it would give us the tools to kind of solve wait times. Well, I mean, first of all, based on what you're saying, we would be able to track wait times. Right. It feels important. <laughs> that seemed, we would actually know if where and when we have wait time problems. And there's a few areas where maybe both of us can get into this, Jillian, but one area that I know it would really help, probably everyone has been following all the like hospital closings that happen all the fucking time in the United States. Mm -hmm. And that is because of our for-profit system. Rural hospitals tend to close. Hospitals serving low-income communities tend to close because it's not profitable to treat those populations. But guess what? Uh, if you're in a rural area, you're going to have wait times to get almost anything, especially if all your hospitals and, and clinics have closed around you. Um, it doesn't matter if nationally we have a great supply of MRIs or dermatologists or whatever, if they're nowhere where that you can reach, then it's going to yeah. be a wait time for you. So I think that's something that doesn't happen in countries that have universal healthcare programs. They are not closing down providers all the time just because they're not profitable, so to speak. Those providers get the same, they'll get funding that is commensurate with how many patients they need to treat, uh, you know, on an annual basis. Mm -mm. That actually feels like it makes sense. Yeah, well, that's why we would never do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what else then? Oh, yeah, you know, there was this anecdote from the UK from 2004. Yes, this was, um, I hesitate a little bit to, to cite this anecdote, but the in the United Kingdom, they were like us right now, have had a big primary care shortage. And apparently primary care providers in the United Kingdom were really kind of, there's high level of demoralization people leaving the field, feeling like it wasn't very rewarding, wasn't paying very well. The United Kingdom, which of course has not only a Medicare for all system, but also has national health service. So doctors are actually public employees there. Mm -hmm. They just decided to pay primary care doctors more. Now they, they did it with a weird pay for performance scheme. So it was like, if you give quality health care, we'll pay you more. And I know pay for performance is kind of controversial and I think the evidence shows mostly that it's bad. It creates a lot of like adverse reactions and it it can tend to lead doctors not to just provide the best care that they think they should be giving. But it got primary care payment rates basically up to those of specialists in hospitals, which you know, we're nowhere near that in the United States. We have a massive, massive pay gap between primary care doctors and, and specialists. And so uh, just within three years of, of make, implementing this pay raise, the number of general practitioners, that's what they call primary care doctors in the UK, rose by 15% and vacancy rates fell from 3.1% to 0.8%. Now, mm. to state the obvious, we can't do that in the United States, right? We don't have an entity. Every insurance company pays a different rate to physicians. Yeah. And we don't have the ability across the country to be like, we're just going to increase pay for primary care doctors relative to specialists in order to increase the number of doctors who want to provide primary care and who can yeah. survive there and pay off their medical school debt or whatever. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like this has a lot to do with something we talk about all the time, which is the kind of patchwork system that we have in the U.S., right? Where the state so much is left up to the states or even the counties or your municipality even, right? But if we were to have a Medicare for all system, we would actually have a national mechanism for regulating what happens with healthcare in this country and no more of that kind of patchwork where people in poor communities are left to slip through the cracks. Yeah, exactly. I think it, it, it would let us plan our healthcare resources, right? We could actually say primary care is not being paid enough compared to specialist care. So we want to pay more for it. And that would obviously have a, an impact, but it would also let us say, for example, there's not enough residency slots open for primary care doctors, yeah. um, which is kind of a real obvious one that we should be able to control. So we have zero ability to plan. Basically, there's this physician cartel that is controlling some aspects of supply, and then everything else is being determined by hospitals and physician offices in order to make enough money to keep their practice going. And all of their ability to make money depends on how much insurance each individual insurance plan pays for something. So our wait times are really kind of at the whims of the market, I think, mm -hmm. you know, it's like if providers are able to charge a shit ton of money for MRIs, if they're able to get away for, for, with that, charging high prices to insurance plans, then maybe we'll have good timely access to MRIs in some areas of the country. But if they're not, then tough luck, we're going to have massive wait times. So it's a beautiful dream then, but it's going to take a minute for before we get there, right? Hopefully not too long, but, uh, you know, <laughs> as we heard from our listeners, a lot of us cannot right. wait. <laughs> I know the ultimate wait time is like waiting to win Medicare for all, but we should, hey. we should really not be waiting. We should be organizing. And yeah, I, I think that the other takeaway from our prep for this is like, if you want to see the beauty of what Medicare for all can do for your wait times, travel anywhere but Canada, <laughs> just go to, <laughs> go to anywhere in Europe, go to New Zealand, go to Australia, go to Japan, and you'll see the beauty of, of what you can accomplish. But obviously you can fuck this up even if you have a Medicare for all system. You can underfund any service, you can underfund, but the vast majority of countries do not fuck it up. And you know, the one big advantage we have in the United States, Jillian, is we spend twice as much as anyone else on healthcare, so we have plenty of resources to cut to eliminate wait times, basically, if we want to. Which you know, Canada spends half what we do; the UK spends a third what we do. So they have far fewer resources to be like, we want to pay doctors enough, we want to pay primary care providers, mental health providers, we want to have an, enough adequate CT scans and MRI machines. Uh, we can do that. We can have all of our cake and eat it too, which not many countries can say. So sounds great. Who doesn't love cake? And eating it. And eating it. <laughs> There's no good looking at your cake. <laughs> <sighs> awesome. All right. Shall I thank our podcast team? Always. Made this thing happen. Podcast manager is Angelique Davis. Our researcher for this episode was Lucy Millman, who herself had to call seven doctors to find a wait time of less than nine weeks to get her wisdom teeth pulled. Dental wait times, lovely. Our show notes writer for this episode was Jerry Katz, and our audio editor was Arena Bodanova. Thank you to all of you. And as always, do not forget to like this episode and subscribe to the Medicare for All podcast on your favorite podcast platform. The show is a project of the Healthcare Now Education Fund. Mm -hmm. And if you want to support our work, you can donate to the website, healthcare-now.org. And don't wait until you donate. We have so many bad waiting jokes on this. I didn't know this was going to happen. 
we really should have stopped ourselves. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, apologies for our lack of self-control in the pun department here. And uh, yeah, stay safe and stay dangerous, folks. I can't wait to see you next time. <laughs>